Welcome to the SF Weekly Podcast. I'm Nick Veronin, your editor in exile, and I am joined by Kevin, the rock and roll animal Hume. How's it going? That's it. That's all I got this week, Kevin. I'm a little... I mean, I'm fine with it. I've always said that if I was going to be a Muppet, I'd probably be animal, but that's just because (laughs) I'm a drummer and I'm being literal. Oh, yeah. I wasn't referring to that animal. I was referring to the title of Lou Reed's 1974 Ah. live album uh, of the same name. So uh, take a walk on the wild side, Kevin. That's all I got to say. Um, (laughs) I think it's also a reference uh, to the return of live music. Mm -hmm. You are a musician. I am a musician. We both enjoy live music. That we do. And uh, bars. Yes. Uh, (laughs) And and this week, this week was the bars and clubs issue. Nice. Uh, So, yeah, I was like, what's Kevin's nickname this week? (laughs) And rock and roll animal came to mind. Um. Have you you been to any shows lately, Kevin? I've been um, to two. I haven't been to any uh, yet. I have purchased three tickets for concerts in the next, gosh, well, one is in October and then two for March of 2022. Yeah, what do you got coming up? Uh, Thrice is playing uh, at the, uh, what is it, the venue, the UC Theater in Berkeley. That's where and we saw tool and uh king crimson no no that's that's different oh it's it's different but yes oh. we did see them in berkeley that was at the berkeley community theater I think. berkeley community theater i still yeah, have that UC, t-shirt i i do too somewhere uh the uc theater opened a couple years ago and it's on shattuck in downtown berkeley oh okay um, my mistake no you're good i was just gonna say that thrice was actually the very last show that i saw before shutdown when they toured on their uh 15th anniversary of their legendary Vesu record that came out mm. back in 2005 so it's kind of a fun nice bookend for me one of my favorite bands got to see one of my favorite albums of theirs and now they're going to come back and they're almost releasing a new record at some point soon so that will be a really fun way to sort of maybe end a chapter of this pandemic for me. (laughs) Yeah. I have officially been to two shows now, um, both outdoors. Um, I, I got to see Taj Mahal. Do you know Taj Mahal? No, I know the building, not the artist. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Blues world music guy. He's great. Um, My uncle introduced me to him. He bought me a CD of Taj Mahal's, you know, when I was like probably like 16 or something. And I was probably just like, thanks. Yeah. (laughs) Fucking 16. Will you give me a blues artist? But uh, ended up listening to it one day. And I got to say, I I love Taj Mahal. I don't love all blues. I I, re, I came to realize part of the part of the reason I don't like blues is because I've just been like introduced to the wrong kind of blues. I've been introduced to the kind of like you're at a bar and some white dude <laughs> who's, who's like up there just like guitar solo, just like over and over and over again. And mm-hmm. um, you know, as I've learned more about the blues. Um, uh, there's there's a lot of great blues. I used to think it was like super repetitive, and I guess it is. But I mean, like you know, some of my favorite favorite blues albums, uh, favorite blues artists, I should say, 
um, BB King, mm-hmm. um, Taj Mahal for sure. Um, some of the really old stuff like Muddy Waters, um, you know, not to be cliche, but like the old stuff, man. But Taj Mahal, that was cool. I saw him at Roaring Camp Railroad. Oh, he, cool. he, he carried the whole show himself. Like, I didn't even know what to expect. I kind of got invited to this show last minute and he came out there and he he played a bunch of his his stuff um that's awesome yeah diving duck blues she caught the katie um fishing blues uh did not play ain't nobody's business but my own but that's okay <laughs> <laughs> what else what do you what else you got coming up uh let's see march 2022 um Glassjaw is going on a crazy tour performing their first two records in their entirety. So I'll be seeing them perform worship and tribute. Uh, and then I got tickets for Mushuga and Converge yeah. and a few we other were, bands. We were talking about Mushuga before the podcast started. Yeah, and man. I I dropped the term gent. Yes. D-J-E-N-T. And I fought I fought you on this, but I, I think I stand corrected. Yeah. So uh, I did a quick search online and there was like this article. Oh, shoot. I don't think it's on my computer anymore. Let me look <laughs> it up again. Uh so Meshuga Gent, and this is in Revolver, Revolver Mag from 2018. Meshuga apologize for Gent. <laughs> it was a drunk misunderstanding. We're sorry oh. for creating that genre. Um, in case you, you don't know what the hell we're talking about, Gent is like a, you might call it like an onomatopoeia, maybe? Yeah, it um, is. It's definitely the sound of like a palm muted, really heavy guitar. Gent, 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 yeah. Gent that's yeah. yeah so if you can yeah palm palm muted um yeah hopefully most people know what that means but yeah it's gin, gin, yeah yeah that's my sugar um they're yeah, they're, they're heavy it's typically really really technical is indeed yeah it's very like the riffs are not necessary they're very polyrhythmic you know stuff that kind of circles around and dances around the beat um and you know it's not for the faint of heart, um, but yeah, man, <laughs> I don't think any everybody is gonna love Meshuggah, but you know, people that do, uh, they're they're an amazing band. So I, yeah. I last saw them in twenty in twenty fourteen at the Fillmore. So it's gonna be cool to see them again. And I'm a fan of Glassjaw. Um, I actually heard about this show a little bit late, and. Um, I might be able to go because I might be able to use my powers of the press, abuse yes. my powers of the press. Yes. But I, I missed the ticket. The tickets, like, it's crazy. The show's in 2022. Dude, it sold, out, sold like, out immediately. They sold out so quick. I was, I, I was so scared about, you know, cause the priest, they did a pre-sale and they promoted it on their Instagram. And I was like, dude, messaging my best friend, like, dude, uh, are we going to go? What's the deal? I was like, shit, they sold out in like 15 minutes. So yeah. I was like freaking out about, I, I logged on at 10 AM on Friday when they went on sale. I was like, are we all going? We're all going. All right, cool. So got them. So, and I also saw, I also saw Thievery Corporation at Stern Grove. That was the other show that I went to. That oh, cool. cool. Nice. Yeah. So, but indoor shows are happening too. The independent is now open for indoor shows. Um, I believe Rickshaw Stop has a show coming up. Uh, you can read about that in next week's issue. Um, but it's a very interesting time because 
this is the, this is the week we're recording this segment on the on the 16th. So we're basically one month out from California's reopening. And, you know, people are some people are just throw through the mask off other people a little more, you know, trepidatious. Um, it was around this time, you know, after Thanksgiving and certainly after Christmas and New Year's. I feel like that we really saw that post that 30 days later, you know, that, that post COVID mm-hmm. or that post holiday COVID surge. But according to uh, Benjamin Schneider, staff writer, Benjamin Schneider, uh, SF, uh, <laughs> SF weekly, San Francisco um, may be just maybe safest place in the world to, to have a night on the town to throw down as it were, because um, we're bad. so vaxxed up. It's, it's a, it's, you know, a bit of safety, uh, knowing that I think what the, what are the figures, something like 80, 70 to 80% of the population here, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, And that's what, I mean, that's what some of the numbers that they were thinking would be herd immunity. So, you know, like the virus can't really, uh, hopefully, you know, I'm knocking on wood here. It can't spread. Hopefully, hopefully you don't get too sick if you do get it. Um, yeah. But there are still question marks out there. And we don't want to like, we don't want to like, we don't want to be the authority here that like, if you're nervous about going out, you, you still don't need, you don't have to go out, you know, like no. you could, you could go, you could go uh, get all the perfect pelts in Red Dead Redemption 2. You could, uh, <laughs> You could finish that. Uh, you could finish that that Game of Thrones puzzle that you know that, that you've you know. been putting off. You can finish Game of Thrones. No, don't finish Game of Thrones. You should no. stop like somewhere in the middle of the last season. No, not even stop in season end of season six. Just cut it off. You don't end need to season know six. Okay, you heard it here, folks. <laughs> um, so we had a package of stories. There was the story about um, from Benjamin Schneider about you know vaccination rates and what that means for um, for partying in San Francisco. The uh, another story we have deals with bars, dance clubs, music venues, um, and how they are trying to f- come back from this. Um, although the restrictions have been lifted, it's not just you know you don't just flip a switch, especially at a at a place like a, a huge music venue like the Great American Music Hall where Glassjaw is going to be playing, mm-hmm. like. You know, there is equipment that has been turned off <laughs> for like a year and a half. And, you know, you, you might flip it back on and it might work. You might flip it on and be like, oh, this shit doesn't work anymore. Um, I mean, I don't know if that's what happens exactly, but you need trained staff to like get that place back online. Plus, you know, it's probably dusty as hell. And, uh, you know, th- there's a lot that goes into it. The, the bars, dive bars, you know they're having a hard enough time as it is like, and all they got to do is pour you like a rum and Coke. Right. Like, but, mm-hmm. uh, for one, for one, like, um, brewers switched, they, 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 they switched from kegging to, um, you know, canning and bottling over the mm-hmm. pandemic. And now they got to switch back. Um, even like s- weird supply chain things have happened. Like this guy was talking about, uh, in, um, the story by our um by our intern sienna barnes um was talking about how like before the pandemic he was paying four dollars for bar mats and now he's paying seven yeah man there's some weird stuff going on everywhere inflation is is real you know 
Yeah. You ever taken a bar shot, Kevin? No. no. So Matt shot. Ah, no. Why? I mean, <laughs> I would be wary of stuff like that back in the day. There's no way you could pay me to do that stuff. But now. do you know what that is? I, yeah, like it's when you 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 know you drink whatever they probably just pour whatever's in the mats <laughs> yes! from all the night. Yeah, yes, it's disgusting. I have never done. Do I've never done that. I've never done no. that. No, I swear I've never done that. Um, yeah, <laughs> I don't that's 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 like a that's a fraternity hazing ritual if I ever heard one. Jesus, yeah, no kidding. Uh, <laughs> or just alcoholism in general. Yeah, yeah, don't do that, guys. I, no. do, do not take any jokes that I say on this podcast at face value. <laughs> and, and, you know, even if they are true, you know, I'm, I'm no role model. Um, <laughs> fi- finally, um, speaking of alcoholism um, and not to make light of alcoholism, by the way. Um, but uh, for people who don't drink, you know, maybe you're reco- you're in recovery. Maybe uh, you just, you're not too into drinking um, and you don't like having, when you go out with your friends, to the bars to be like you know someone orders some fancy thing with like an you know herbaceous you know colorful drink and another friend you know gets this has this like aged whiskey and like an interesting liqueur and like a beautiful garnish and you're like yeah can i have a coke I mean, that's no fun, right? Um, Drinking aside. So there's this, there's this play, this is, we started to see this over the course of the pandemic really take off. I mean, it had been around for a while, but uh, it'd been around for years, but until recently, when you wanted to have a non-alcoholic drink, you had like an O'Doul's, right? Or you ordered a Coke or you ordered a a, a soda with a soda water with like lemon in it. Well, there are now these really sophisticated mocktails and there's a place uh, in San Francisco in Ocean Beach called the Ocean Beach Cafe, which may very have the largest selection of NA beers, wines, and even they even have spirits now. Spirits, they like use vinegar and herb infused things and hot peppers to like mimic oh, wow. the zing and burn in complex flavors of, of distilled spirits. So, um, yeah, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to sit there with your sad with your sad uh, soda water and lime, now you can have like a really like beautiful mocktail. And I think this is only going to continue to take off. Yeah. Um, I think so too. One of my, uh, my best friend's wife is she can't drink alcohol anymore. Um, and she definitely has been getting into mocktails. She's made them before. And, um, you know, people share stuff like that on, you know, TikTok, Instagram, all the social feeds, and she's definitely like thinking of ordering some uh, of the sort of mock uh, whiskeys and stuff because they they look really cool. Hmm. Yeah. Cool. Well, good. Good for her. Good for anybody who's interested in that. Um, so, yeah, those are sort of the three stories of our bars and clubs uh, package. Um, and yeah, uh, gosh. I think that's about it. That's all I have to say to you, Kevin. Um, that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> um, coming up on the podcast, um, we are going to uh, have a segment with our former intern, Paolo, about another open question in San Francisco's pandemic recovery. What will become of those restaurant and bar parklets? The Board of Supervisors uh, just voted unanimously, as I understand it, 
to uh to make it so restaurants can continue to have these park parklets um uh in perpetuity um but you know people are pissed off about the parking uh mm-hmm. and other things um so it's it's an interesting it's an interesting topic and um paulo wrote a cover story uh with me about that a few weeks back um so we're gonna catch up with paulo on that and we'll talk with sf weekly music writer will reisman about his favorite albums of the year so far uh it's gonna be a fun episode stay tuned we'll be right back Welcome back. We're joined by SF Weekly contributor Paolo Bicchieri to talk about his story on the future of San Francisco parklets. Welcome to the podcast, Paolo. Thanks for having me, Nick. Super stoked to be here. Yeah, yeah. So um, your story opens with um, this anecdote from David Heft, owner of Foghorn Taproom, which has two locations in the inner sunset and inner Richmond. David paints a pretty dire picture of how these first few months of the pandemic go for him. Um, he he's scrambling to do whatever he can to keep serving customers. And that means building a parklet. He's like, I'm going to build a parklet. Um, but he runs into some issues. Um, first the cost and he does his best to keep costs down, but also abiding by the rules. And then even rebuilding the parklet eventually. But can you just like talk about, talk about the way the story opens and and David's experience? Yeah. You know, it was a a really interesting story to me because I, I really like reporting on the sunset. It's where I live. And when I'm walking um, down Irving, I saw that Foghorn was going in there and it was the first business I saw being put in during the pandemic. And I'd been doing some reporting on the pandemic at that point. And it just seemed to me to be noteworthy for a number of reasons, you know, because if I'm a business owner, it seems like a really dubious time to open up. And so the parklet angle of it then made a lot of sense to investigate, right? And so when I first spoke to David, he told me about his other business in the Richmond, which is the one that the story is talking about a lot there with the first go of the parklet. Because his one here in the sunset, I think, has been, a, 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 I should say, post the other one because he went mm-hmm. through a lot of this headache around the first one. And, you know, the thing that really struck me, and I think a lot of his experience, was that this is a guy who's been a business owner in San Francisco for a while, and he's born and raised in the area. And I think he was also particularly dumbfounded by a lot of the sort of moving target nature of the policy at the time. Um, and and the policy continues to be a bit of a moving target, which maybe we'll touch on a little bit later. But it's it continues to be a little bit confusing for these guys, um, I should say these folks who are owning businesses. Um, but really David struck me with his scrappiness, um, and that his sources of frustration and confusion were pretty legitimate. You know, um, he talked a bit, one of the anecdotes is around this idea of these propane tanks, which were a cheaper way of keeping his, um, pretty ramshackle parklet warm. Um, and that he felt somewhat harangued by trying to keep them in the right place and that other businesses had more access to keep their tanks in places that sort of already worked within the guidelines. And so, he felt pretty put off by these types of experiences. But, you know, the thing I also really appreciated about David is he was like, man, you know, these are some of the best San Francisco nights I've ever had is is this evolving outdoor dining space. And uh, 
I really love that you touched on that because I think when I've been seeing this stuff happening too, and it's something I've thought about with a lot of parts of the story, is you know, you're seeing San Francisco catch up with something that has been going on for a long time around the world, but also in this country too, you know, whether it be New Orleans with to go and full service outdoor extension or other cities in, in the country and, and abroad. So I think David was touching on a lot of those frustrations of moving dining in the direction that a lot of folks would say is kind of a logical direction. Yeah. Yeah. And he, um, he, at the, you know, at the end of that first section, he says, I love these things. I'm paraphrasing, but yeah, he's like, you know, I, I, I love seeing the bars and the restaurants with light, light up at night and people enjoy eating outdoors and he wants to see them stick around. You, you also talked to two women, um, Kenzie Banesh and Isabella Bertorelli, um, business partners, life partners who own and operate Yotembien Cantina, also in the inner sunset. Um, they took a, a slightly different approach than David. They didn't rush into building the parklet. They kind of pumped the brakes for a bit, just did to go for a while. Um, cost was obviously a concern for them. So was making sure that they they did this thing right. And and to them, doing it right had a very specific community component. And can you wonder if you could talk about their philosophy when it when it came to building their par- parklet? Yeah, for sure. You know, Yotambien and and Foghorn, I think, are great diametric versions of this and i shouldn't say diametric in that they're somehow uh opposite of each other like like opponents or something but for two businesses that are pretty close to each other now um yotambien's on like third nerving and foghorn is seventh nerving i think um yotambien really does have this huge focus on community and i think that's probably part of their own origin is that they um come from a sort of more farmer's market and service industry and a huge fan base that just turn out for them over and over again. And I don't think that's quite as much Foghorn's experience, though they certainly have a loyal fan base too. But, you know, Yotambien's approach to then designing the outdoor space was interesting because when um, whenever you go there in the past, you know, pre-pandemic, they have all these bright orange tables and chairs and something that I've always loved. In fact, when I first moved here, it was actually just my my home base was this little cafe that Every like Thursday, they had a run club that would go at like six in the morning. And I, I just joined up with like this group of people who I totally didn't even know, but everybody was going to the cafe afterwards and getting coffee. And, you know, you can really feel it in this way that I, you know, without dogging on anybody, anybody I think that this idea of community can be pretty contrived sometimes and uh, frankly, sort of a marketing tactic. Mm-hmm. And you don't feel that at Yotambien. Yotambien, it is straight up people showing up again and again. There's a group of people who bring their dogs there every day. It's like the black and white dog club because it's all these dogs with the same <laughs> coloration. And that then extended really naturally to their design of a parklet that um, Bertarelli has a background in architecture. So I think it was really important to her to bring in some of her aesthetic design. And you you feel that in Yotambien as well. It's a really slick location, a lot of good plants, a lot of good kind of minimal decoration. Um, and they brought that right to the parklet. It's really, rather than say a lot of what we see with the parklets where there's kind of almost a trailer hitch type vibe of there's a, you <laughs> yeah. know, this top, top that's kind of plastic rebar looking stuff. And then you kind of have the posts that come down and you're sort of in your horse stall having dinner, which, hey, I enjoy the horse stall. It was great during the pandemic. But, you know, theirs is really open sort of more just shapes and kind of like planters for plants and stuff, but it actually seats a lot of people. 
And, you know, something I wanted to make sure I said that in the spirit of theirs being more open, you know, a lot of people have rightfully brought up the concern of, okay, well, I don't want my parklet to be uh, somebody's, a transient person's housing. I don't have the resources nor the skills to take care of these folks. And Yotambien, they touched on that in their interview. They said, hey, we do expect the community to be taking care of this space. Like, you can't just leave your garbage all over it. You know, if you are going to stay there overnight, like make sure you're taking care of it and you're not treating anyone poorly. And I think that people have done both of those things um, and that they're accommodating folks' needs and that that seems like another form of their community. So it is pretty different than a lot of the parklets you see uh, around the city so far. And I thought that was really cool. Basically, everyone that we talked to for this story um, was a fan of the parklets uh, sticking around. Um, but part of the, as we hint at in the in the sub headline, is it's kind of un, unclear where where these are going. Um, you talked to a guy though named Mark Bonsignore, mm-hmm. who um, who's been involved in building parklets and activating underutilized spaces, uh, public space for for a while from since before the pandemic um but since before parklets were kind of associated with restaurants and they were more just supposed to be like small parks where you can sit and have coffee or whatever um and he he had his own take on the parklets and and he was happy to see the public kind of understanding them in a different way What, what did he bring to the story yeah, his his input was actually totally revelatory for me because, like you said, I so associate these with um, dining in some variety, whether it be just that I've got like a little coffee or whatever and I'm going to sit somewhere nearby. Um, I think for Bonsignore, that's totally not the first thing that comes to mind. And it was um, – that conversation really was kind of beautiful that way of him saying like, hey, you know, I've worked in um, – I think he spent a good amount of time in, I want to say, China. Um, and I, I know at least a number of places in Asia working on – for him, what he considers going on in San Francisco to be just playing catch up because you have these places all over the world who are, or I should say they are designing these, like you said, more kind of almost public utility spaces because when you've got places, and let's be honest, San Francisco might fall into the same category that are highly dense or um, just needing more places to like go be outside. He is super passionate about this. He's super passionate about designing a place that says something meaningful about the history of the area. And also says something meaningful about the potential futures of that area. And, and now I'm sounding as California as possible. Where I'm talking about the potential futures of an area. But, <laughs> it's, but it's true that I, he convinced me of it too. Because the thing that really sold me was he has been working on a number of projects more in the Civic Center, Soma, and Tenderloin areas. And I'll say that I used to work in the Tenderloin. And, you know, this is totally an area, in my opinion, and, and in Bonsignore's, where folks could use a place to go be in a safe environment that is surrounded by people who care about them and have their best interests at heart for any amount of time on a regular basis. So part of that that he's been working on is um, an ongoing street shutdown that happens in the Tenderloin, sort of as it bridges more to the Civic Center and and Soma. It's right in that little neck um, that has live music and it has food. Um, And I think especially when you consider areas that are frankly pretty marginalized by other parts of the city, you know, you have parts of this city that people, you couldn't really pay them to, to bring their family to or to even just go take a walk through. So when you have somebody like Bonsignore who's saying, well, what if we actually just thought about those spaces in different ways where you're bringing people together um, in a way that feels kind of holistically positive for everybody, you know, and if anything, 
unsavory was going on. Everybody is able to take care of these things in the light of day and um, that there's a lot more trust involved. Um, and I, I thought that was really cool. And he spoke about one of his favorites being um, this metamorphosis parklet going on that has to do more with uh, climate restoration and in areas that, again, are like kind of over like historic watersheds and stuff that, again, I just was like, wow, I, I really only consider these things to be extensions of, you know, burger shops and stuff. And, and he saw it in just such a totally different way that it's a way to essentially make cities more livable in, in a way that is um, more legitimate. And I was really struck by that. Yeah, it's 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 um, not everybody uh, is within walking distance of Dolores Park or Golden Gate Park or right. many of the the you know, smaller parks in the city that are great. Um, and uh, but but if you if you're not near a place like that, and especially during the pandemic, you may not want to get on a lift, or you may be relying on public transit. That um, maybe that's even a stretch for you, or maybe it's not. But uh, public transit wasn't totally around, um, in the same way, especially at the height of the pandemic. So, um, yeah. Yeah, you know, we, sure. we brought in, uh, you brought in Mark to talk about, you know, the need for, uh, or the, the utility or the, the benefit of having these places, not just for, um, helping restaurants stay in business, but just as kind of like a, a feature of a, of a city that is, is nicer to be or be in and, uh, yeah. nice place to live. For sure. I mean, you know, the thing that I think you're saying here that that Bonsignor was saying as well is let's just think about it this way. If you have to pay to access a public space, how public is it really? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's something he was really touching on there is that, you know, whether it be Yotambien or, or Foghorn and Yotambien is maybe a little bit less, but those are beautiful environments, that, but they have to do with purchasing goods from a place. And And let's say something else. If you're somebody who's down on your luck and you're part of the, maybe the homelessness crisis we have in San Francisco, or you're just not the uh, a customer of one of these businesses and you're trying to find somewhere to just rest for 30 minutes, hang out for an hour with your kids and you live in an SRO, these spaces are crucial, super crucial. And I, I loved that he brought that element into the story. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was important to get in there. Yeah. Um, so, uh, finally, as, as I said, um, pretty much everyone we talked to in this story was like, yeah, parklets, parklets are cool. Um, but there's a, but, and that is, you know, it's not exactly clear whether these things are going to stick around. And, and there's a lot of reasons for that, you know, David Heft, um, you know, right at the outset before he built, you know, his second and maybe a third parklet. Cause I believe he, he built one for one of the foghorns and had to tear it down and, and rebuild another one. Um, you know, people were, people, uh, business owners were building these things quickly. They didn't know how long the pandemic was going to last. And so, you know, some, some of these things have not as a consequence been built to last, but there's also, um, there's also sort of, um, legal questions because the city and the state did a lot, uh, to, in an effort to help restaurants and bars stay in business. And they kind of, and the, the ABC, the, uh, alcoholic beverage control, I think that's what ABC stands for. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they changed, they, they, they kind of changed some rules, but at the moment it's unclear if some of these rules are going to go back. It's also unclear, like how much it's going to cost businesses to, um, cause right now there's this, this program in San Francisco that allows, um, biz, uh, businesses to essentially have these parklets rent free. You know, they're, they're taking up parking spaces and 
traditionally, if you wanted to do one of these, you would have to pay the city for that parking space, but not right now. So anyway, <laughs> big, long windup. Yeah. Um, Scott Weiner, um, our state senator um, based in San Francisco, um, is a real workhorse. He's got so many uh, bills running through this, the state, uh, yeah. legislature. Uh, it's crazy, but he's, he's, this is one of the, his projects this year. He's trying to make sure that, um, th- these things can stick around and thrive and, and be a part of what you were just talking about a few moments ago, like a more European style city where there's more sort of public space and, and public restaurant, not public restaurants, but, you know, restaurants on the street, um, European city. If you've ever, if you've been fortunate enough to go to Europe, you kind of might know what I'm talking about. So I, I'm going to let you talk now because I'm that was a big long wind up. Yeah, um, yeah. But th- there's some challenges. And and what what did what did Scott Weiner tell you? Yeah, yeah. And I followed you there. I followed that through line. I think, <laughs> Thank you, Paolo. That, you know what what you're what you're getting at here is right. Like, what is this? What is this seeming opposition? Because basically across the board, you know, you're doing all the reporting you can to get somebody to be like, I didn't, I don't like it. But basically, everybody was like, it's awesome. Uh, and and that was part of what was really striking is that from how how often do you actually have business owners being on the same page as a lot of these politicians who are designing legislation and policy around right. their yeah. livelihood, right? And so that was super cool. And and yeah, the alcohol beverage control thing is really interesting to me that the California Constitution can't pass policy or legislation that actually usurps this control group, right? So that was one thing that um, Senator Weiner was really uh, emphatic about was that it's been cool how much ABC has worked with folks throughout this time because they didn't have to, you know, and they mm-hmm. they wanted folks to be doing well. And so SB 314 that Weiner's working on, uh, like you said, he's working on a million things. Um, but this idea that it would actually permanently create a situation that, you know, is like you said, more you, you the easiest way to picture it is to think of more like a European city. Or again, like maybe more New Orleans or or mm. something like that, where you've got folks, and it, maybe it's in parts of the city. That's something that Scott Weiner mentioned. Is you know maybe you're sectioning it off, um, and figuring out a situation in which you have these stick around. I mean, the one that uh, David Heft mentioned that I think is worth showing because I actually read about another one that I'll mention in a second. Is now you're going to have the situation where business owners have invested in these constructions to stay afloat during this terrible time. And now they're going to lose all that money if they have to tear these down. Yeah. Well, one that David Heff mentioned is on Irving. Uh, there's a business called Lavash. Um, allegedly, their um, infrastructure there, and this is a business that also opened up right around the time of the pandemic that you know basically had no real looked like no real business during the pandemic. They have now been booming. Their food is delicious. Um, but that infrastructure was something like $15,000 to build. So if you tell these people, hey, this is going to have to go away, they're going to lose a huge amount of capital Um, and and also change fundamentally the dynamic of their business. So I think what Scott Wiener is really pushing for um, is just to continue to have folks being able to access this as a resource. If they can, there's certainly nothing wrong with people being able to expedite some of their policy. Um, The concern that you also brought up, the real one that a lot of people seem to mention is this idea around parking. And this idea around kind of how do you navigate the space physically, but certainly the business owners involved in the piece and, and Bonsignori was emphatic about it too, um, that that should really not be a primary hurdle in this conversation, according to these folks. Like, yeah, it's something you want to consider, but don't we want to have a situation where folks have less traffic, 
where folks are less in their cars in general and and haven't many of us enjoyed you know walking down to visadero and having people out on your left and right having a drink having dinner um and and that was a really fun part of the conversation with scott wiener is he was like yeah i love what's going on in the castro like he it sounds like that's a place he likes to hang out on a sunday is go out and see some of the drag brunches and yeah you know that stuff's great, and and it really would be a shame to to not only essentially further punish business owners by taking away this this resource of theirs, but also um would it would do a real blow to the community that that has now been resilient throughout pandemic, um and to ask that to go away would just be a real shame. Yeah, well, so the story um is uh, on our website. Uh, the headline is eating out side <laughs> with the parentheses around the word side see what we did there the um uh, the subheadline is the pandemic helped grow one of san francisco's best ideas uh we didn't actually touch upon that in this podcast but you can read about how um um the idea of parklets um while they they exist other places in the world um they were also sort of pioneered in san francisco in a, in a really interesting way anyway um but the future of these now popular parklets is far from certain um and that um this this episode is going to come out a few weeks uh, after the the print edition of paolo's story but you'll still be able to read it online that's the best thing about websites so um it's under the culture tab eating outside and i want to thank you again paolo for joining us today nick thank you man it was a joy back with Will Reisman, music writer for SF Weekly, uh, here to check in uh, and let us know what we should be listening to. We like to check in with Will periodically, uh, find out what he's been listening to, because if he's been listening to it, you know, I think it's worth checking out. So welcome to the podcast, Will. Um, thanks for having me, Nick. That's, that's nice praise right there. I hope I don't disappoint. <laughs> yeah. So um, June 15th, the masks came off, um, shows started happening, um, you know, Stern Grove, uh, sort of like the big, the big thing that, that came back. Um, but the independent actually had at least has at least had one show, yeah. right. Uh, as so far con Brio yeah. and, um, uh, our photographer, Chris Victoria was there. I, and then he sent me photos and I, re, uh, I saw the bill or the, one of these captions and this band secret sidewalk was playing. And have you heard of Secret Sidewalk? I I know I haven't heard of Secret Sidewalk, but I mean I think we've talked about the maybe the root of that name. The Secret Sidewalk. The Secret right? Sidewalk. Yeah. I grew up in yeah I grew up in Fremont, so I went went to the Secret Sidewalk to smoke weed uh, <laughs> yeah. as a kid. But um, no, but Secret Sidewalk is this band. I think they're based out of Oakland, and I, yeah. I wonder you know I wonder if that's the root of it. But they're kind of like uh, jazzy, but like electronic, you know, like. Uh, Herbie Hancock, but, but, you know, experimental Herbie Han mm-hmm. elements of that experimental, like, uh, what's that, what's that Miles Davis uh, album, like on the corner or something. Uh-huh. Um, very, very sort of experimental jet, not quite as experimental as that, but like mm-hmm. they got some good grooves in there too. Anyway, I wanted to see them. I didn't, I, I would have tried That's to go to that show. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, Conbrio is great, but like, yeah. I, 
I, I would have, I would have like def, I would have like tried hard to go to that show if I knew I, I missed it. And I'm the yeah. freaking editor of SF Weekly. What am I doing? <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> I saw photos from it and it looked awesome. Just on Twitter, you know, it looks, it looked like life as we remembered it. You know, it's. I was jealous. I wasn't there as well. Yeah. So we're we're halfway through the year now, a little bit more than halfway mm-hmm. through the year. And like I said, on on June fifteenth, the masks came off. We're 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 at July fifteenth as of today. And uh, you know, um, unfortunately, we're seeing surges in elsewhere in the country and in the world. But like right now, San Francisco seems good. This is our bars and clubs issue this week. We actually have an article that makes the case that San Francisco might be the safest place in the world right now to go out on the town. So I think it's an appropriate time to talk about music halfway through the year, whether it's live shows or whatever. I want to talk about live music, but I also want to yeah, give the mic over to you and, and let you talk about what you've been listening to the, the first six, six, seven months of this year. What are you, what are you jazzed about? Oh yeah. It's been, you know, every year it's kind of like, there's this like, approach like all right do i really want to like kind of like throw it all in and like listen to every new thing that's coming out because it can be exhausting uh mm-hmm. and you know you wonder like is it is it worth it to just you know continue to like plumb the depths of Bandcamp to find out what's going on there but like i just have been like this year i've been like really super psyched with what i've heard so far i mean the the, the one album that stands out for me so far is wild pink which is billion low lights they're this kind of, I guess, Heartland rock group that I would, mm. I would describe them as. You know, like they get compared to Tom Petty a lot. The, you know, some Death Cab for Cutie. They're very like, just they make this very gorgeous indie rock music that's lush and um, uh, expansive, but also small and intimate. If that makes sense. I mean, it's got this yeah. kind of like very like, um, you know, kind of picturesque soundscapes but he's he's speaking the, the lead singer john ross is really speaking um on these intimate subjects and uh this album in particular has this kind of it's kind of got this like rolling motif throughout where like all the songs kind of interplay with each other and connect with each other and there's like these uh, you know like the shimmery guitars and the you know the mm-hmm. nice keys and the synths and it's just got this wonderful kind of bucolic sound throughout that's also like a little bit of like the, the synth stuff in there as well um just like they made one of my favorite albums ever yoke in the fur from 2019 love that album so much this is like better than that this is like I'm, i've spent such a long time since i've listened to an album on repeat without getting sick of it at all at any point like every time this I put this on. I'm just like excited to hear it. It's it's just a great album. Nice, um, nice. You're making me think of um, an artist that I just stumbled upon. Um, and when I texted you the other night, because <laughs> I texted him, because he, uh, if you listen, if you're a fan of the podcast, you'll remember that Will told me about this band Dead. Uh-huh, and I, uh, I came across Dead, and I, that's why I texted you because uh-huh. I, I've been listening to Faye Webster, and that it, yeah. it ended up going into Dead. And like Faye Webster, I mean, she, this is, I've just discovered her at mm-hmm. Atlanta indie rock country artist with a lot of like just subdued attitude. Um, and she, uh, the other day, uh, when that Dead song came on, mm-hmm. also uh, a Faye Webster covering Dancing in the Dark came on, and you were talking uh. about 
Heartland Rock mm -hmm. and I've shimmery guitars, and I was like, "Oh, that sounds like." Freddie Webster, yeah, I've, I've I've got my dead T-shirt on, by the way, right now. Um, <laughs> nice, yeah. And uh, yeah, Faye Webster, she's definitely got that. I I, I don't want to. It's the Mac DeMarco thing. She's very funny and witty, and kind of has that like um, very languid pacing. It's she's not in a rush mm -hmm. or anything, and that kind of reminds yeah. me of Mac DeMarco. But Mac DeMarco, it's not a very fair comparison. But she's like sardonic and you know um ryan in her observational writing and yeah that album's great she's getting great reviews on that um mm -hmm. she's a she's a super talented so what else you got what else you got for us so i the japanese breakfast album jubilee it's michelle's honor is like kind of like the 2021 indie rocker of the year she came out with a memoir that was like uh um a New York Times bestseller. It's getting adapted into a movie. Um, and she put out her album, Jubilee, which was like really, in, there's been so much focus on the fact that her first two albums um, really dealt with the death of her mom and her coping with that. And this album is more of like a, a, a joyous album. And it is. It's mm -hmm. like the, um, Be Sweet, the first single off the album, which is the second song on the album, is this like unstoppable pop song that might be my favorite song of the year. It's, it's getting very close to like Runaway level right there um but like the rest of the album like the opener paprika is this kind of slower song it, it, that she kind of ends with this like very grand statement um on the last track it's like a six minute song that just like kind of ends in a cacophony of guitars it's it's just this like super assured uh confident album where uh you she kind of explores everything and it i think we've talked about this before it reminds me of my those my favorite kind of indie rock records which are like you know, kind of the grab bag of genres where it's like, I'm going to try this, you know, my Yola Tango song. I'm going to try my, you know, blue or, I mean, a new order song, you know, it's like, it's just kind of like digging on her influences there. And, and like Jubilee is, is, is all over the place and uh really great album. And it's like crazy to see her success. Cause I remember the first time I interviewed for the SF weekly, this is five, five years ago. Or so like I ha we had to like base our interviews around her, nine to five job like i had to interview her after, after <laughs> yeah, five wow. years because she was she had a regular job and like now she's seriously her memoir which crying in h mart it's about her um her experience going to the korean supermarket and reminding her of her mother uh that's gonna be made into a movie she's she's famous she's on jimmy fallon and you know she's, yeah. she's big time so and this album is it's still very much like a it's not pretentious and it's not grand and like she hasn't let success get to her head i guess you know but it's just it's just a really assured confident album that's cool so yeah speaking of uh speaking of crying not in h mart but like mm -hmm. I, I did tear up a little bit when i did you see the uh have you seen or heard that the killers teamed up with bruce springsteen which like yeah. <laughs> i like i yes. saw this and i was like what okay I, I mean i have to click on it i didn't know uh -huh. what to expect I mean, it was so on brand. It's so uh -huh. like I was. I was thinking, oh, this is on the nose. Uh -huh. But then I was like, oh my god. Yeah. I, oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> Dustland. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, they, those guys know what they're doing. I mean, yes. It. There's not an accident. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I loved Japanese Breakfast and and um, and Wild Pink. Those are probably two of my favorite albums so far. I mean, there's a couple albums that are like a bit more abstract that i've been listening to like nonstop. this one recording 
project. I don't even, it's, it's a South Korean guy. He records under the name Paranool. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that night, but he, mm-hmm. his album is called To See the Next Part of the Dream. And it was like this total Bandcamp special. It got, it got like a, a ton of notice on Bandcamp. It was like on the, you know, like way out in the ether there. Um, but it ended up getting like some kind of a lot of attention. Pitchfork reviewed it, but uh, it's it's this South Korean uh, shoegaze, shoegaze artist. Yeah, he, no one knows his identity. He hasn't revealed mm-hmm. his identity yet. Um, it's like his, this album, To See the Next Part of the Dream, is like lo-fi shoegaze. It reminds me of like the early M83 stuff, which is like so mm. in my so on my wheelhouse. Um, it's It's great hooks it's great you know like fuzziness it's distortion you know it, it's like those great pop nuggets buried under this wave of dissonance uh, love it so much he sings in korean i don't know what he's saying um but it's it's like this great album and like it, another one that i've been listening nonstop, and kind of in that same vein of like foreign language albums that i've been obsessed with is this this um one artist, Vanille, I don't even, again, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. It's mm-hmm. V-A-N-I-L-L-E. Uh, and she's from Montreal and she, she, she put out an album, I guess, a year or two ago where she sings in English, but this, the one that I've been listening to, Soleil 96, is all in French. And it's just like these jangle pop, beautiful crafted pop songs. Reminds me of Stereolab, you know, like uh, kind of 80s uh Jangle Pop from Britain stuff. It's it's this great album, and I know that it's like been listening to nonstop where I don't really know what she's saying, but like you can feel it. So those two albums yeah. are like, you know, um, really I guess expanding my horizons to international levels. I'll have to. So they, they're both great. I'll have to check those out. Now on this list that you gave me, um, you mm-hmm. broke it into two portions, and yep. there's this other albums section. Um, yeah, is that stuff like that's come out this year, or well, is that it's like stuff that's stuff like? It's like I've the first kind of batch of the ones I gave that I really, really, those are my favorite. The other ones are other albums that I've kind of like, you know, um, are like contenders, but not quite as much though. But like, I still love, like, you know, like my basically my second 10 of, of favorite albums, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, let me round, let me, let me just yeah. uh, clue everybody into to, to the, the top 10, the, the rest of that list. So you, uh, the ones you didn't mention were Julian Baker, Little mm-hmm. Obvious, uh, Kiwi Jr., Cooler Returns, mm-hmm. Super Wolves, self-titled, mm-hmm. Manchester Orchestra, The Million Masks of God, Bachelor, Dominion Sun, Storefront Church, As We Pass, and Antlers, Green to Gold, uh, mm-hmm. going back again to an album that I like cried to a lot, yeah. uh, Hospice. Yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, so so this other, this other, uh, the, um, these other artists you mentioned, um, you know, one that jumps out at me, mm-hmm. uh, well, a couple of them do. Uh, Godspeed, you black yep. emperor. Uh, uh, I mean, th- uh, those guys are just those guys and gals, those anarchists from yeah. from Canada who were once who I think were on the FBI or the some CIA <laughs> list, and uh, they they are they are truly amazing. I've seen them. Uh, oh well, you uh, speaking of live music, you saw uh, you saw um, perfect you know, genius twice. Yes. Twice, once at Henry Miller and once at Stern uh, Grove. Grove, and that Henry Miller show would have been a folk yeah show. And I saw Godspeed uh, once at the Fox, but once at Fernwood oh. uh, Campground in Big yes. Sur, another folk yeah show. And that was just this amazing. Oh, I mean, it's so good, so good. Great, 
they don't mess with the formula. I mean, like this last album, I, again, like just put it on and kind of bliss out instrumental. It's, I mean, it, there's creepy moments to it for sure. I mean, there's always yeah, kind of like yeah, these creepy yeah. moments to Godspeed albums, but like just you feel like you're, yeah, you're like sitting in like a planetarium. I don't know, like, and like you're looking at the stars. It's like you just kind of bliss out there. It's, it's just, uh, cosmic and it they have yeah i love i love i love like listening to godspeed while i read i don't you know it's like you can kind of yes. do that you know? yeah yeah i like a lot of instrumental music or i yeah. guess like if it is if it is a a language that i don't understand yeah. which is basically any language besides english i can speak yeah. a little bit of spanish but i can't follow it like in a song yeah. um uh you yeah. know i can i can kind of get work done um you know, you have yeah, Mado Mokhtar. Yeah. Am I saying that right? I, um, Mido Mokhtar, I think. I, yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's, there's, this list is filled with bands, and I'm not quite sure how to pronounce them. But yeah, they're, they're, I saw them live uh, at Desert Days a couple years ago. Just an amazing, amazing band. Wait a minute. Is that the, is that the, like, the thing that's held at the polo grounds um, in Indio, but it's like, it's like it, for like psych? rock and stuff it's, like that, is that it's, what... it's kind of near it's it's it used to be like in baker's field near it's so it's it's in like um it's like baker's field or something that area we have, quite, we have the quite, technology here i'm gonna yeah. look it up desert i i went camping <laughs> that's what i it's like i had to go camping for the whole thing and it was yeah yeah, so here I'm on the website. It looks like oh, they it's have Paris, Paris, California is what it's called. So it's like this. Okay. It's next to this lake, a reservoir. It's it's a super cool little spot. I mean, it's great. And it's not big at all. It's very they get great, amazing lineups every year, but like uh it's very much in like the folkia vein where it's yeah. like off destination. Off, exactly. And offbeat like lineups where you're not seeing the same bands that tour. I mean that are at every other festival. And yeah. Son, Sons of Komet also jumped mm-hmm. out at me. I saw these guys at a jazz festival and wow, just like intense af- athleticism. It's yeah. like, like this dude is playing a tuba like mm-hmm. the entire show. And is he singing? Is that, does he also like sing or was that the different, a different guy? I, I, yeah. Anyway, I don't know if they're too good. Yeah. There's, there's vocals, you know, and, but like uh, to be, he has the tuba like on his shoulder and yeah. like, he's pl- like jumping around and you know, that's hard enough to do with like a bass guitar. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but like to have the tuba and to be, it's a wind instrument that he's in order to play. He yeah. has to be like push air through very impressive, very impressive, um, you know, experimental, a jazz a quartet or whatever um very very energetic um yeah it reminds like talking about that like i don't know how much trouble i had trying to sing while like gently strumming an acoustic guitar <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, yeah great great album what else is what what else do you want to uh highlight from from this list i also see vince staples who is like um one of my all-time favorite yeah, rappers i i I love this new Vince Staples album. I, again, like I, I just came out on Friday, so it's not even out a week yet. And mm. it remind it's like his kind of like his I don't want to call it his reflective album. It's very short. It's only twenty five minutes, I think, even if if that. Um, but he, you know, he's more ruminative. You know, like I feel like uh, you know, summertime '06 was his kind of 
coming out ominous like almost paranoid album big fish's yeah. party album and then like you know I, this is more of his like kind of reflective i don't want to call it mature but like you know it, it's soft and like you know it's there isn't like these big banger moments and he's kind of you know almost singing on a lot of the tracks and i've i'm here for all of it really like it you know? vince staples is just he's like he's my he, favorite hip-hop artist I he's him. he's so i mean like yeah i mean kendrick gets all the credit mm-hmm. and he should and he should yes. because kendrick is just it just incredible incredible mm-hmm. incredible but um it's like i feel like fewer people tend you know vince staples kind of gets lost in the shuffle and and not no he doesn't i mean everyone knows about vince staples yeah. plenty of people know about vince Staples. he's no one's it's not like the world slept on vince staples yeah. but um yeah summertime 06 was just revelatory i guess yeah. i think uh, it's a little bit more i don't know what what, how, what i'm trying to say um you know it's it's a little bit more sort of because Kendrick is also dealing with these really, you know, bleak themes of mm. growing up in the projects. But Vince, I don't know. He kind of he lays it lays it a little bit more plain, a little more plain yeah. spoken, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I also just think he's Kendrick's. And this is not to compare the yeah. two, but remember that. Did you hear that interview back in 2016 when he put out some, or maybe it was 18 or whatever when Summertime 06 came out, and then like this this woman. You might call her a Karen oh, yeah. now, yeah, like exactly, she did yeah. the thing, and yeah. then, you know she was like she did the Freaking thing that, that white people do, where they yeah. like they read the rap lyrics. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like I don't know why white people think that that's ever going to turn out. Like you're not going to get mocked. Like what's his name? Ben Shapiro did it yeah. with WAP, right? Like yeah. I'm going to sit here and read these rap lyrics. But so a woman did that, and she was shocked. And Vince Staples' reaction was like he he got invited on on NPR, and um, and he they put it to him. Well, like, what do you what do you think about that? And he's like, I agree with her. Yeah, this is shocking yeah. because yeah. this happens in this yeah. happens in the neighborhood that I grew up in. Yeah, I'm telling stories. It's shocking, mm-hmm. like, and it's horrible. I mean, I it was a great response. I thought. Yeah, I think one of the things that was so great about that album is the kind of plain spoken nature of it. It's like this, like, it it's not. There. I mean, it wasn't necessarily the way that he delivered it. Wasn't like this is like I'm gonna blow the minds off of white America, you know, it's basically, this is like doing what every great hip hop artist is doing is cataloging his life, you know? And like, he does it in a way that's so, I, you know, earnest and, and there isn't like a shock value attached to it. It's like, this is like what he's doing. This is what he's recounting his daily life. And like, just like everything about it, just like felt so murky. And so like, it it felt like always like, dusk when you're listening you know it just it was mm-hmm. just great great yeah, production yeah, yeah and then if, yeah like you said big fish and then you had a few like eps in there um oh, so new vince staples yeah it's exciting. It a lot yeah um, um so yeah and then there's like i there's you know this year like you mentioned antlers green to gold which i think is very interesting because hospice like you're talking about one of my favorite albums ever made their their you know kind of masterpiece the lead singer is you know belting belting it out and and Mm -hmm. so many of those songs where it's just there's quiet moments but like peter peter i forget his last name but like he's just like 
unleashing the vocals. And I'm pretty sure, I, we can confirm this, but I'm pretty sure like he had some major throat issues from like mm. years of touring on the road and, and basically singing cuts from hospice live. And this, this album, Green to Gold, is just super quiet. Like he never gets above like a kind of a, a whispering register. And there's something like very like just comforting and warm and like, you know, uh, you know, atmospheric about the album. It, 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 they're pretty songs and he still is very emotive, but there's just not that he's not, you know, relying on his voice to kind of carry the emotional tenor of the album. It's, there's, it's, it's a really great collection of understated, but still powerful songs. You know, I don't think this album's out yet, but in, in sort of that moody, um, like largely, you know, atmospheric, uh, vein. Uh, I think there's a, a new Dark Side album. Oh out. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I saw that Nicholas Jar and oh no, is that, yeah, it's Nicholas yeah, Jar and, and uh, uh, his the other the, his collaborators the escapes the me. Yeah, <laughs> the exactly. other dude. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I'm a big Nicholas Jar yeah. fan. Yeah. So I'm I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward to that. I'm actually such a big Nicholas Jar fan that like I started listening to these tracks that have come out. And I had forgot that there's like singing on Dark yeah. Side songs. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, wait, that's good. But because I'm used to like the Nicholas Jar stuff. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I it's cool. That. There's also, I mean, like, as far as like the one album that's coming up that I'm super excited to listen to uh, is Foxing. They've the, like four or five, they've, they just put out another single, but they've put out four songs so far from their upcoming album, which I think is coming out August 6th. And who boy, man, it, it, there are like some ambitious, great stuff. They're, they're the uh, band I put out there, Manchester Orchestra, one of my favorite albums this year. They're like best buddies with Foxing. They have the same kind of, I don't, don't want to call it prog rock, but it's very like inventive and ambitious and like kind of multi- it's it's not pretentious. It's like the indie version. Hey, I mean, I think know, like, like I, you know, things go in cycles, and I think like it's a, we're at a, a point where people are starting to. Prog rock was so pretentious in so many ways, but it brought us, uh-huh. it brought us a lot of things. Like I really like that band, um, the Once and Future, the Once and Future band from Oakland. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and they 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 have this more you know indie uh modern take on prog where like you know there's definitely the tongue is in cheek like i think they have like a guitar or i've uh, seen them perform with a guitar before um but they're also just like shredding mm-hmm. on yeah. every instrument uh, just shredding i mean i think with foxing and manchester orchestra it's like i, I wouldn't call them tongue in cheek they're pretty earnest but they they do like are not afraid to like you know go in different directions but they also like have the budget of like an indie rock band mm-hmm. so they have to get creative it's not like they're like you know uh rush in the 70s mm-hmm. who had like you know they could just camp out in the studio for a year like yeah. they're, they're playing with like kind of epic scale songs on not epic scale budgets which i think is interesting and like it shows like uh you know like there's the intent is there but like they you know like they want to say they're they want to say what they want to say in kind of this declarative way. Um, but they don't get caught up in like the, I guess the, the, the geekery of prog rock, you know, the technical, <laughs> the technical geekery, mm-hmm, uh, which mm-hmm. kind of makes it a little soulless at times, but yeah, prog rock, it was punk rock. So, you know, 
it wasn't yeah. a frog record. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I think that's about all the time we have for today. I want to thank Will again for joining us and uh, sharing what he's been listening to. And uh, yeah, um, welcome back live music welcome back nightlife um you know we hope you feel comfortable going out there uh and and seeing some shows uh this uh you know i'm sure you missed it and i think the city missed you so yeah get I'm, back out there i'm excited can i just get vaccinated is that too get much vaccinated. Of a plug? too much of a plug for the music writer like <laughs> i want right. to go back to shows so everyone get vaccinated yeah all right um thanks will take care nick i appreciate it Thanks so much for tuning into this week's edition of the SF Weekly Podcast. The episode was produced by me, Nick Veronin. My co-host is Kevin Hume. Our audio engineer is Mike Huguenor. For more hot takes, deep dives, and alternative views on San Francisco news, subscribe to our podcast, pick up a copy of the paper, or find us online at sfweekly.com. See you next time.